Welcome to the Rock of Bay County, Florida, where our vision is to be a multi-generational gathering, moving as one body to bring the glory of Yahweh to this beautiful county and to all the earth. We hope you are encouraged and blessed as you listen to this message. All right, I don't have everybody's full attention, but hopefully Holy Spirit will touch your heart and ask you to remember why you're here in the first place, okay? Anyways, let's let's get to this because... This year, uh, if, if anybody will tell you, uh, you could tell people that, that I'm not one for the new year resolution, the new change in the, by the Spirit, because I believe that we operate not from 2019 to 2020, but heaven actually operates from glory to glory. And we put so much emphasis and so much demand on a new year. And honestly, most times we're just using it as an excuse. We're basing it off of what we believe in the natural uh, things in the spirit, mixing those things together. And we forfeit what we have available to us by being plugged into a source that nothing ever, like it doesn't run dry, right? But, but man, I, I do recognize that in the natural, the change of a year, the change of a decade is significant. There's a spirit, there's a spirit of change, there's a spirit of hope, there's a spirit of expectation, there's some letting go of some past things and some new chapters being turned to. And I recognize that. And I, 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 I've said before, there's so many people that jump on the bandwagon of the 2020 vision. You know, and I, and I don't make, make light of that. Man, I, I want a 2020 vision going into 2020. That's fine. But what I'm saying is, that hasn't spoken to me like just recently. Just recently. I'll tell you what my 2020 year looks like. I was talking to Joanne a couple days ago, and she said, you know, kind of the theme that's been going on here in uh, all the New Year's Eve parties, all the big, you know, uh, uh, big events that are happening in the new year, they say it's the Roaring Twenties. Every party's the Roaring Twenties. The Roaring Twenties. Man, that speaks to me and makes my spirit leap a little bit. The Roaring Twenties. Man, I'm telling you, this, this, this day, we don't need to do things the same way, approach things the same way. We need to let some things wake up within us. I'll share a story with you that I've shared before, but it's worth sharing again. I heard this in South Carolina when I was there, and it's changed my life ever since. There's this wealthy philanthropist who's going to the San Diego Zoo because there's a new lion that's being uh, taken to this zoo. This big male lion. And this philanthropist is so excited about seeing this lion. And And the San Diego Zoo is extremely excited because he's going to make a big donation to their cause. There's my little lions. So he's going to make a big donation to their cause. So this philanthropist is so excited to come and see this lion. Stay with me. 
This philanthropist is so excited to see this line, and he, he gets there. He's, he's so excited. He goes up, to the, goes up to the cage, and he looks in there excited, wants to skip all the formalities with all the board members and just get to the line. And he steps up to the line and, and, and sees the cage, and he looks at this fiery, fierce line, and he watches him take eight steps to the left and eight steps to the right. Y'all remember this? Eight steps to the left and eight steps to the right. Eight steps to the left and eight steps to the right. And the philanthropist, is, he, he's, he's filled with, with just disgust. He hates what he sees. A thing of that wild nature should never be caged in that manner. And so he grabs all the board members together and he says, Listen, guys, I know I said I came here to make a donation, but I really think that what I came here to do is to buy a lion. And they said, the lion's not for sale. But he said what all wealthy people can say and do say, everything is for sale. And he left with a lion. The story doesn't end there. So this philanthropist fly, is going to fly this lion to the African plains and watch him release back into the wild. And free him into this wild, wild nature that he was born for. And he's full of excitement. What he paid for is not, he doesn't even care about the amount that he spent on this line because he knows what he's paying for and what he's freeing. And he gets this lion and its, its cage is sitting right there and he watches the cage open up. And this lion with all determination and purpose and fierce fiery eyes and the wild nature within him steps out of that cage. And he takes eight steps to the left and eight steps to the right. And eight steps to the left. And eight steps to the right. And eight steps to the left. And eight steps to the right. Why? Because it is absolutely possible to be wild and never be free. And we so oftentimes miss the price that's paid. He, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And that does not mean that we're to sit here in shame and guilt, doubt, fear, unbelief, anxiety, anything that we carried in 2019 from the toil of our hands and what we had to do. He did not do what he did on that cross so that we stay in this place of of believing we're free but never really being free. There's a wild inside of us that needs to be awakened again. There's a freedom calling in 2020. There's a roaring lion within our bellies that needs to be awoken again. Remember Psalms 27 from last week when we read what David did in the midst of war, which he hated, by the way. In the midst of war, a worshiper lifted his head above his enemies. Not just to say, I lifted my head above my enemies. He had a purpose for it. He lifted his head above his enemies so that he was able to offer a sacrificial shout of joy. What does that look like? A sacrificial shout of joy. A sacrificial shout of joy. (laughs) And I'm just telling you, in David's own life, when he offered a sacrificial shout of joy, it says that the Lord came and he became his strength. 
The joy of the Lord became David's strength. He was able to infill himself in any circumstance, any situation with the joy of the Lord. That was what his heart looked like. And Yahweh called him a man after his own heart. And I believe that this year has the potential. No, I'm not going to. This year has the potential to be the best year of your life, of my life, of this house's life. But it's going to cause us to have to change the way we think. To repent for the kingdom is at hand. To metanoia, change the way we think for the kingdom is at hand. For some of us, to not even think for the kingdom is at hand. So this morning, we're not starting off how we normally start off. And if this makes you uncomfortable, you'll be all right. I promise. We're all just as crazy as you are. And I don't care if you need to close your eyes, tuck your head down in your chest, hold on to somebody. This morning, we're going to make some declarations and we're going to offer a sacrificial shout of joy from the place that we've been into, transitioning us into the place where we're going. Amen? One. Two, three. Come on. I just, I hear this. We're being baptized into 2020. The greatest, the greatest uh, depiction of baptism for me. is in Exodus when the seas are parted an identity that chased them the fear that chased them the worry, the doubt everything in them that had kept them down forever chased them and they went through the water but on the other side of that Yahweh shut off anything that was allowed to come back out of there. It was not allowed. The fear, the doubt, the identity could not follow them anymore. And I just believe that we are being baptized into 2020. Into the roaring 20s. Into the roaring 20s. Don't let this be the only shout. He didn't pay that price. He didn't pay that price for anything else other than joy. Other than the joy that was set before him because he knew, he knew, he knew what laid before him for us, for believers, those that would walk in the glory of who he is and all that we have available to us. It's actually, it's actually a slap in the face to that philanthropist, isn't it? And it's a slap in the face to Yeshua. Every time that we allow that doubt, that unbelief, things that we've declared are gone to creep back in. Remember, it's not fear or the doubt that's the problem. There's some things you can't control that come up in your head. Experiences. But the root of fear, the root of doubt, the root of sorrow is a problem. And it's our ability 
to lift our heads above a circumstance, above a situation with true hope in our hearts and to make the declaration that there is joy that comes in the morning, that there is beauty for ashes. And this present time is nothing to be compared to what is to come. Man, that is the true hope within us. Amen? Amen. So let's one more time. Let's one more time. Let's shout until we're not uncomfortable shouting anymore. Yes! Come on! lion himself reminding us Leonardo Reese bold as a lion bold as a lion come on now there's freedom today There's freedom today. I felt I felt the wind of change in my office this morning. See, the, the, the change of a year, there's a requirement on our end. Right? And we can leave here this morning in an, in an inspired state with hoarse voices and feel pretty encouraged and slip right back into the eight steps to the left and eight steps to the right. True repentance causes us to change the way we think. The renewed mind, the mind of Christ, the believer. And our faith mixed with a little bit of unbelief is ineffective. And our faith mixed with a little bit of doubt is ineffective. There's a degree of faith that needs to come in this year for us. There's a degree of trust that needs to come in this year for us. Doesn't mean there's no circumstances, right? It's not just so that we have this good life. It's that we were designed to be more than overcomers. That we were designed to live and work out of the rest. That if we labor for anything, it's the rest. That above all else, friends, guard your hearts. Because everything that we do will flow from it. I'll tell you what, this morning I I uh, I wanna I wanna speak out of this. And I we're gonna I, I feel a grace 
maybe grace doesn't, I feel an unction. There is grace, obviously, but I feel an unction to, 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 to go right here, to speak out of my heart in this moment and in this day. So we're going to do things a little bit differently this morning. We settled? We good? Let's pray. Yahweh, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for this people. Thank you for the winds of change. Just ask that you allow this word that you've put in my heart to start to change the hearts and minds of people in here. Even if they feel like they're on the right path, change it again just to make them more pliable to your word and your voice, Yahweh. We speak over our brothers and sisters in Australia that are going through turmoil right now, and we just ask for your presence, your wraparound presence and peace in their lives. We ask for healing rain in the natural and in the spirit. Let your glory be shown on that piece of dirt there, on that land. Yahweh, we speak over and pray for anybody that might oppose or misunderstand this ministries, this ministry, and also those that we might seem to oppose in our heart or that we don't understand their ministry. And we pray over them and ask you not that they get more of our mindsets, but they get more of your mindset, that you bless them and elevate them and separate us from that hate and that, that, uh, that stuff that we're not supposed to carry, Yahweh. And we love you. I ask for Holy Spirit to speak this word. This is about you, Yahweh, not about me. And this is all to your glory. We declare this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But desires fulfilled is a tree of life. Proverbs, Proverbs thirteen twelve. we've been reading this for the past couple weeks. <laughs> it's a little bit off to me. <laughs> Hope deferred. Something doesn't stick right with me with that. Someone tell me the definition of hope. Thank you. Joy-filled expectation for good. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. I don't believe anything within true hope can be deferred or can make your heart sick. So I'm going to change that this morning. I believe what this scripture is really, and I haven't looked in the translations. Maybe there is a translation that says this. I believe there probably was or is. But really, it's not hope deferred makes the heart sick. Let me just remind you. So a joyful expectation for good is hope. His goodness. It's not based on timing. It's not based on the circumstance. It's not based on things being fulfilled in that nature. Hope is a seat of hope. Zechariah talks about it being something that we're actually in bondage to. It says that we are believers, prisoners of hope. It's an anchor. So it can't be deferred in my mind. I believe what this scripture really should say is unfulfilled expectations make the heart sick. But fulfilled desires are a tree of life. Y'all okay with that? Y'all just agreed to change scripture in church. That's messed up. (laughs) 
what were the expectations of the disciples and really all the Jewish people of the Messiah, of Jesus, of Yeshua? The kingdom of Israel being restored, the power. If you think about where they're at in this time, they are completely oppressed by Roman rule. And we think we have it bad. And we haven't progressed and things are getting worse. If you just go back in time a little bit, you'll see it's not that way. We're a little off there. So these people are, are enduring horrendous persecution, starvation, such a desire that, that there would be in a hope that a Messiah was to come the prophesied Messiah, and he comes. And men drop everything, and they follow him. Three and a half years later, Yeshua is making a declaration in John, telling his disciples that not only he was going to lose his life, but also they would. And that hope that truly could not be deferred if it was hope is in Yahweh, in his word, not in an, unfulfilled, in an expectation. This stuff is good. It's just, just wait. I'm, I'm excited about this. And I'm going to tell you this morning, I'm not going to allow you to be quiet. All right? We're in this together. Okay? And what you draw out of me is what you're going to get. And so I, uh, I, I'm not one that, allow, that likes to be up here and sit here and dance for you guys and make this good. And you say, I understand sometimes you got to think about stuff, but give me an amen. Stand up. Shout. Let's not do that this year. Okay? Let's act like we have some life within us. All right? Everybody said? Amen. That's what I'm talking about. <clears throat> so... So here comes, three and a half years later, Yeshua is telling these disciples. And while he's telling them this, he's saying, let not your heart be troubled. He's talking through some things, talking through some things, looking them in the eyes. Let not your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled, guys. Listen to me. Don't let your heart be troubled. But by the end of the conversation, when he talks to them about more persecution in a worse way that's about to come to place, that's going to come to pass in their own lives and the Savior that's going to restore Israel's kingdom and make everything all right is going to die. And he says in John that sorrows, I see that sorrow has filled your heart. Even though I was right in your face making the declaration to you, let not your hearts be troubled. I see that sorrow has filled your hearts. We talked about this last week, going into the Garden of Gethsemane, which is what follows this. In the Garden, Yeshua gets in their face again, and he said, listen, pray. Don't fall into temptation. Pray. Don't fall into temptation. And in the moment that Yeshua is having one of the most intense prayer sessions, the whole let this cup pass from me moment where he's dripping blood 
from the stress and the, and the difficulty in that moment and the passion, his disciples are asleep. His disciples are sleeping. How are you going to sleep in a moment like that? And I never really quite understood that. I just thought that they were just so tired from everything until I read again. And if you already knew this, there's candy back there. Go grab yourself some. But for me, I never quite, it just never got in my heart the fact that they were sleeping because of their sorrow. That's what the Bible says. It says they, they were asleep because of their sorrow. And what was the temptation? Well, what was he telling them to do? To pray. And as long as we see prayer as this like surface level, like we talk about, I'll pray for you, and not the powerhouse tool, amazing thing that it is. Bill Johnson said it best. It's impossible to pray and nothing happen because prayer gives you a different perspective. What's the will of Yahweh for our lives? This is the will of Yahweh for your life. Why? Why? Because there's a perspective. There's a perspective shift that Yeshua was offering an opportunity for them to step into. He knew that sorrow was in their heart at this point. And he's telling them, listen, I need you to not slip into the temptation that will not allow you to shift the way you think because of your sorrow, because of things that have happened, because I know what happens after that. I know this is, I know this is difficult, but listen, let not your hearts be troubled. And now that there's sorrow in there, listen to me, pray, pray so that you don't fall into the temptation of thinking that things are hopeless and that you and he's realizing in that moment that their hope, Tikva, is not tied to Yeshua and who he actually was through relationship, but it's actually tied to who they believe or expect him to, to be and what they expect him to fulfill. And what happens? They fall asleep because of their sorrow. So follow me here. Unfulfilled expectations goes into disappointment. Can you imagine the disappointment they felt? Like telling people, been doing all this kind of stuff, all these signs and wonders and miracles, all this stuff to just usher in the new kingdom and the new reign and everything's gonna be okay. And they're probably talking trash to all the Romans and seeing Yeshua, you know, knock over the tables and the uh, Pharisees and dealing with all that kind of stuff. And they're just, mm, man, hope is filling their heart for what he's about to do. In Acts 1, I think they even say this. Will you now restore the kingdom of Israel? So that's what's obviously in their hearts. That's what their expectations are. So unfulfilled expectations follows, it falls into unbelief. Falls into sorrow. Falls into temptation. Inability to see the heavenly perspective of the situation. Remember Yeshua. 
when he's starting to feel this thing happen. When he's starting to see what's about to take place in his life. And he says, Yahweh, though my soul is in turmoil, what should I even say? The two options. Right? You remember this? We talked about this so much. The two options of him being able to fall into doubt, fall into fear, fall into worry, or you know what? Yahweh, you glorify your name. And you know what Yahweh says back to him? I have glorified it. And I will glorify it. Meaning, I see things, I didn't see this turmoil and all this thing you're going through. I see glory. And I'm going to take you to another dimension of glory. I've glorified my name and I will glorify it. So, they slip into this thing of, uh, we're just going to keep going through this so we, so we stay on track and I don't forget where I'm at. Unfulfilled expectation follows by, uh, by unbelief, follows to sorrow, follows to uh, temptation, not going to the heavenly perspective thing, which ultimately causes them to fall asleep, which I think is also a, uh, it's absolutely a, uh, a natural thing, but it's also a spiritual uh, depiction of where their hearts were causing them to fall asleep. And that sleep led them into unbelief, fear, and doubt, and the whole thing. How do we know that? Because the Bible told us. In the Gospels, it says that, it says that they all forsook Yeshua and fled in that moment. When they came to get him, Jesus was captured all of the disciples forsook him. The only one that actually might have followed was Peter, and we know what happened with that. Prophecy fulfilled, he denied him. No one was at the crucifixion. If you had hope in him and not what you thought he would do, wouldn't you be, even if you had hope in what you thought he would do, don't you think you'd at least be, there'd be some mention of them like peeking over a mountaintop, just like what might happen here, Right? The only one that might have been there on his own account, which he tends to do, is John. They all forsook him and ran and fled. Another, another uh, a key moment is one of the coolest stories to me that challenges me and makes me think more than anything is after the resurrection of Yeshua is Mary Magdalene's story. Where she's outside of the tomb and she's, she's crying and all of a sudden Yeshua approaches her. And he says, woman, why are you crying? Why are you crying? And she mistakes him for the gardener. And listen, I know that when I say this, all the prophetic people get all hyped and the lights flicker a little bit. <laughs> because this is kind of spooky talk. But for me... I don't buy that. I think it was the gardener. She followed this man for three and a half years who saved her when no one else cared about her. When she was seen as the lowest, unwanted trash of the earth, Yeshua saw her as someone great. She was part of the women that actually might have financed his ministry. She knew his face. She knew his voice. She knew everything about him. She worshipped this man. 
And I promise you in a moment where she, is pr- she knows that the, the stone has been rolled away, she has such, her eyes themselves probably long to just lay eyes on him, to, to see him, to see his face. Anything that might have appeared to be Yeshua, she probably would have recognized or must mistaken the gardener for Yeshua. But she mistakes him for the gardener. And really, I think it's a depiction of, this has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but I feel like it's a depiction of Yeshua's presence on a man and how he actually operates after the resurrection. And he says, Mary. And all of a sudden, she recognizes him. So was it Yeshua or was it the gardener? Or is the answer yes to both? I don't know. I like to think that, though. But here's the important thing, is that Mary carries with her probably the first gospel message ever spoken. And it's five words. She goes to the disciples and she says, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. It's five, I promise. I have seen the Lord. Don't act like you weren't counting. I do that every time someone says five words. It's like, uh, I'm hoping to catch them. Like, no, it's six. Get some, it's five. All right, I already counted. I have seen the Lord. One of the most powerful, powerful messages of the gospel that I have come in contact with the one who changes everything. This, 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 my life has been changed because I have seen the Lord. And she comes in with such passion and such zeal and she says this to the disciples. And you know what the Bible says the disciples thought about that? They said it was like idle tales. And if that shocks, I'm talking about the men that, walked, that saw, saw him perform so many crazy miracles, children raised from the dead. A man who was demon-possessed, naked in a graveyard, cutting himself, and he restored him as if nothing ever happened and made him apostle over nations. A man who they've seen literally multiply bread and fish right before their eyes. Turn the pharisaical world up on its head. Everything that they did and they walked with him, that they left everything for. And someone runs in and says, I have seen the Lord. And their response is, it's like idle tales. And if that sounds shocking to you and ridiculous, it's in our, it's in our house. It's in our hearts. And I'm walking this with you. This ain't a rebuke. This is a wake up. This is 2020. And this is all that Yahweh is trying to do in our lives. But, but the unbelief from sorrow, from unfulfilled expectations, from the temptation of being so in sorrow that you don't lift up prayers, that you don't change your perspective or the way you see your situation, causing you to let some things in your life fall asleep and never deal with them. Like I say, the heart's a great place to hide because it's your responsibility. Right? Unbelief can easily mask itself in belief. It's the clean hands, pure heart thing. I call it the clean hands law. Right? 
the clean hands law. What can I see on the outward that people are doing to justify me believing that they have a pure heart? The word pure there actually means clear, free. But really, the only thing that's ever going to produce clean hands is a pure heart. A man led by the Spirit that's cleared out all of this junk. And the longer we hold people to clean hands, we miss out on people that actually have very pure hearts. And there's so much that can happen and so much that we could, could do if we would stop living in a law of clean hands. Again, I don't say that we need to lower our standards. We need to raise those up in this day, but we absolutely need to drop some walls. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. Y'all doing okay? Good. Good, good, good. Where were we? Because I have no idea. Clean, I got off on the clean hands, pure heart thing. I don't know what we're doing. Huh? Eva said, like about the disciples. Oh, that's where we were. Oh, man, that's funny. I love it. We're talking about their unbeliefs and her and Mary Magdalene's story and them saying it was like idle tales. Well, here's the beauty in all of this is that there is absolutely a good side to this. And I know that I've been talking for the past couple weeks of rending your heart and this being, it's, it's not an easy message to hear, but it's a vital message to hear. It's not something that you invite friends to, to come here. But if we as believers can get this thing and are willing to expose our heart and not just the garments, not just the outward expression of sorrow, but we're able to bring with weeping and, and, and crying and bring these things to Yahweh in a day of sorrow and we're able to actually rend our hearts, he can work with that. There's so much power in being able to do that. <clears throat> oh, it is a good word. I know. I feel it today. All right. I completely didn't look at my notes, so I'm everywhere. So I'm just making sure for a second. Okay, so this is, this is where things take a, chain, take a turn. Because in my mind, we all know this. What happened to the disciples ultimately? They were all persecuted in the most horrific, terrible ways. All based on the belief in the faith that they had in the resurrection, resurrected one. Yet none of them were there for the crucifixion. All of them had sorrow in their hearts. All of them had unbelief and doubt. All of them had fear. Again, except for maybe John on his own account. All of them experienced this. Yet all of them died horrific deaths based on their absolute faith and belief that Yeshua is who he said he was and that he is a resurrected one, right? So something took place in, those pla- in, in that time to go from men that, would, that forsook him, ran away from him, wouldn't be there for the crucifixion to men that would die on his behalf in terrible ways, boiled upside down, beheaded, stabbed to death, clubbed to death, all of these different, account- different accounts of how they actually died. So let's read about that, shall we? Yes, Mark. Yes, we shall. Let's do that. You already know where it is. It's Luke 24, 35. 
I should just like make us offer up a sacrificial shout of joy every five minutes. I'll spare your voices for now. All right, 35. Now, this is where two disciples have come back from the road to Emmaus where Yeshua has revealed himself to, the, to him or to, to these disciples that were on the road to Emmaus by breaking bread. And they say in 35, Luke 24, 35, and they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So he's telling, these guys are telling the disciples of what has happened. <clears throat> 36 says, now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. I love Yeshua. He's so awesome. Peace to you. Just comes into that situation. So before they could go into that whole idle tales thing, he comes into that, that, that moment. Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. How it's so significant and so vital that we are protectors of the heart. You know what I mean? Like, we're talking about disciples, the men that actually laid their physical eyes on Yeshua and walked with him. Completely in fear, doubt, unbelief. In this moment, they're actually hiding because of what was prophesied over them. They knew their lives were in jeopardy. And this is what Yeshua said to them in 38. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in where? Your hearts. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy, which is so cool, that's what this says, but while they still did not believe for joy, they still did not believe for joy. If they really had hope, a joyful expectation for good or an expectation that brings about joy in your heart, then this wouldn't be so. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, this is 44, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. The funny thing about this word, this, this phrase here, all things, is that it means something really powerful. Ben, do you know what that is? All things. It means everything. All things. So, yeah. It's profound. <clears throat> all things must be fulfilled. 45 says, and he opened their understanding and that, that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it is necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city. Of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. 
Complete fear, complete doubt. Don't, still don't believe who he is. Don't believe in joy. Something starts to manifest and take place. And he starts to prophesy these things over him, over them. But tarry until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And he blessed them. Not the Pope. Yeshua himself blessed them. Yeshua himself has blessed us. And, And listen, let's shift what we think blessed means. 51 says, now it came to pass while he blessed them and he, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with what? Wait, what did they not believe for? What was the sacrificial shout for? And he returned to them great joy. The answer for the sorrow in your heart is great joy, but it's only com- it only comes by him, by Yeshua, not an unfilled, unfulfilled expectation. Hope in him, right? Amen? Return to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in, in the temple, praising and blessing God. That's powerful. Continually. Pray continually. Pray without ceasing. There's another story about doubting Thomas, which he gets a bad rap. He's not a doubting, doubting Thomas. He just has some questions, all right? Leave him alone. I like Thomas, all right. <laughs> Doubting Thomas. I believe it's in the book of John. It talks about when Yeshua comes to him and he sees the doubt on his face. He sees the unbelief on his face and the worry. And he comes to him and he says, touch my side. He said, feel these scars. And he tells him this. He says, it, it, Thomas obviously becomes a believer falls to his knees in, his, in worship and, and Yeshua says to him, Thomas, you believe in our, you are blessed because you now believe and you've seen with your own eyes. Talks about how he got to see him with his own eyes and therefore he believed and it's blessed his life. But then he says, how much more blessed will those be that have never seen with their own eyes and still believe? And I say this, that is not a rebuke to Thomas as much as it is a prophecy of us and what we have access to. The word blessed, blessed, blessed. What is that? The Bible tells us what the blessed man looks like, doesn't it? Psalms 1, 1. Blessed is the man who does not do what? walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Pause. Pause for a second. Salah. Pause in his presence. Reflect on this. Blessed is the man. There's revelation in this scripture. But when it just rolls off the tongue so easily and it's so nice and well put and thank you Psalms for this great opening chapter... Sometimes we miss what he's talking about and what Yeshua said when he blessed him and when he's talking about blessed will be those. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. I can tell you this, that I personally have watched people who I knew were believers and that in their heart were wild and full of faith and because of the counsel that they sought in the ungodly, 
completely, completely changed. And I don't mean ungodly. See, we go in this idea that ungodly is just like, well, someone's over here worshiping Satan. It's someone that doesn't have a godly perspective. It's someone that doesn't have a, a heavenly perspective. And it's so easy, so easy, because you follow their path. You seek counsel in their path. Who follows not the counsel of the ungodly. Little bit of compromise. When you are in turmoil, when things aren't making sense, when you're feeling a seed of unbelief, the worst thing that you can do is go find someone who lives in that state. You go find a father. You find a, a, a pastor, a believer, a friend, someone who lives their life full of faith. And you go, remind me again, brother. Remind me again what a blessed man looks like. Remind me again. This is why we're a family. It's why you can't go at it alone. Remind me again, C.S. Lewis. Oftentimes we need to be reminded much more than we ever need to be instructed. Remind me again, brother. What does a blessed man look like? But I'm telling you, I've watched people walk down this path of counsel in the ungodly. It's going to start like this. You're awesome, Andrew. You can play that guitar like no one else, man. You are awesome. It's so cool. Wait, what? That sounds ridiculous. They shouldn't talk to you that way. Yeah, you're right for feeling that way. Let me tell you this, and there's these seeds that start to get planted. And look, this sounds so simple, but so many people today. I think it's even funny that Instagram has followers. <laughs> like, really, like, don't, don't act like this isn't real. How much counsel do we get from people living a lives that we have no idea what godliness looks like in their life? But because on the surface, their counsel looks sound, that's what we follow. Nor stands in the path of sinners. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of Yahweh. However, we're not all sinners. We're sons. A sinner would be one that refuses to allow himself to change the way that he thinks. And I think that the path of sinners looks a lot like us making another compromise based on people carrying our agenda. I think that that the path of the sinner and falling into the path of the sinner looks a whole lot like making a compromise. See, I can't say it the same way I did before. It's all good. It looks like making a compromise based on someone carrying your agenda. Meaning, like, there are people in this world that absolutely, there's no question how they live their lives. And you'll find that in the political world. Crap, he's talking about the politics again. Coming in your kitchen. But in politics, we make so many excuses because they believe like we believe. So all of this crap that we know that they live in, it's all good. We'll stand with them because they carry our agenda. 
We stand with them because they carry our agenda. Nor stands in the path of sinners. I'm trying to wake us up to the idea of how this all sounds really bad and big and that's not us. But if you're honest, we have sought counsel in the ungodly. All of these things are in the heart of a man and things that can exist within the life of a blessed man. Make sure that those people are standing with you before you're ever standing with them. Not their path, your path. Your path is his path. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly because the steps of a righteous man are ordered of Yahweh, right? Stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And my lovely, beautiful wife has challenged this to the core of me. And I think if you need to know if you have a sick heart, are you sitting in the seat of the scornful? This is the easiest way to diagnose a sick heart that has fallen into unfulfilled expectations, that has caused sorrow, that has caused temptation, that has caused you to fall asleep to who you're called to be, the seed of the scornful. What's in your heart? I'll tell you, it always comes out. Out of the abundance of the, the mouth speaks. Out of what's within here, you want to diagnose it, figure out what's coming out. And if everything that feeds you is talking negative or looking at people's clean hands and trying to make a judgment call on what their pure heart looks like, if you want to, if you have to always be talking some kind of mess about something else and everything that comes out of your mouth is negativity, seems simple, but I'm going to tell you, brother, sister, you have a sick heart. I have a sick heart when that's what's coming out. And when that happens, it's time to do some tilling. It's time to do some rending. These are the moments where you say, Yahweh, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I am, there is some venom in my heart and I'm just going to be truthful and honest with you. I'm disappointed in this. These are the things. This is what's challenging me. This is where the unbelief is coming from. And watch what he does because that is prayer. There's a perspective shift that's going to change. There's an exchange that's going to happen. I can promise you this. I'm starting to see it in my own life. Doesn't mean it will be easy. There's things that have come up that I don't want to deal with that were asleep and now are awake. But for the simple purpose of me killing those things off. Nor sits in the seat of the scornful. It's time to stand up from the seat of the scornful. In, we do not often realize what power we hold. Mike, in the power of the tongue, is life and death. Not life. Talk a little bit of trash. Still okay, we can come back to life. It's life or it's death. And we have got to be the ones to guard our hearts, to till up the ground within our heart so that only thing that comes out of our mouth is life. And it's not easy. I'm going to tell you right now, it's not easy. I've had to challenge, ever since Eva brought that revelation to me about that, it's been a trial for me. Every time I sit down and I want to say something negative, because really it's so much easier and it's justified. And they are wrong. If at that moment I slip back and say, you know what? In the power of my tongue, 
The world around me is created by the world within me. Apostle Damon Thompson. The world around me is dictated by the world within me. I'm creating, what, what, what else does it say about the heart? As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So we know what, y'all with me still? We good? Oh, it's only 11. So this is what happens when you don't do worship. And Blesses a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Those are the things he's not. But what is he? He delights himself in the law of, the, of Yahweh. And he meditates day and night in that law. That's one thing. He's a tree of life planted by the rivers of living water who brings forth fruit in every single season and whose leaf never withers. And then thirdly, everything that he does prospers. But you don't get to that point without digging up the junk of what you're not. And then we need to bring light to what these things are. I know I'm giving you a lot, but just give me the 30,000 foot understanding for now and we'll dive into these things a little bit deeper weeks to come because this revelation for me is changing my life and changing my heart. And I think it's vital that we get this at the beginning of this day because I think 2020 (laughs) is gonna be the roaring 20s. And I think that every single year of your life, you'll look back on 2020. Not that it does, it's, it's ever increasing. Things are gonna get better, but you will look back on the 20s, on 2020 and say, that was amazing. Yes. That was where it all shifted for me. That's when things changed. For his delight is in the law of Yahweh. He's ready to have their bubbles bursted. There's glory on the end of it. But man, we go off of our salvation here in, in anytime things get hard or anything that we want, we lean on this idea. Delight yourself in the Lord. The word delight. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll do what? All right. The Hebrew word translated delight is onag, literally means to be delicate or feminine. It carries the idea of being pliable or sensitive. In this particular context, context, it means to be dependent upon God and to derive one's pleasure from him. I'm going to read it again. The Hebrew word translated delight literally means to be delicate or feminine. It carries the idea of being pliable or sensitive. In this particular context, it means to be dependent upon God and to derive one's pleasure from him. This is tough for guys. Let me speak to you men for a little bit. What this world needs is, is some more man's men. We do, need, we do need that. There is an attack on our boys in the nature, the wild nature of a man in our culture. There's a lot of suppression and making them feel like the things that they 
naturally feel are wrong and suppress them and keep them away and come over this way and this is what it should look like and this is what a good boy looks like and all this stuff. I think if you want to read, a, if you have boys and you want to read a book to really change your perspective, Kathy Neese gave uh, Ben and I a great book called Wild at Heart that just helped me really, 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 really change the way I look at, the boy, at my boys. Tara, I let my boy roar, right? I re- let Leo roar. But we need that. We need men to be men. But we need to know what a kingdom man looks like. And we have got to come to the place of letting go that man's man, I can do it myself, and start to be pliable. And start to be sensitive. That's tough. Start to be pliable and start to be sensitive. This will make you a man's man in the kingdom of God. The Hebrew word translated delight literally means to be delicate or feminine. It carries the idea of being pliable or sensitive. In this particular context, it means to be dependent upon God and to derive one's pleasure from Him. The term translated desires, remember what we're talking about, the scripture we're talking about. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. The whole reason I'm reading this is because we're talking about the blessed man who delights himself in the law of the Lord. So we need to understand the meaning of this delight word. I'm using, I'm just trying to keep you all on the same page. I'm using this scripture because when I think of delight, this is what I think of. And we got to trump this whole idea. Nobody better say amen just because I just said Trump. (laughs) I pray for that man and I pray for our leaders. I'm not trying to knock anybody. I just I understand a, a superior kingdom and a superior rule. And I'm not going to subject myself to something that's less than when I could have something that's way greater than. The term, translate, uh, the term translated desires, pronounced mishalah, refers to petitions or requests. In Hebrew thought, the heart was primarily the seat of the inner man. Oh, we've heard that before. It was the source of the will. In other words, the psalmist tells us that God will honor our delighting in him by graciously giving us what we are asking of from the very depths of our being. Now, if we think carefully, if we are delighting ourselves in God, then what are the desires of our heart? We all right? We good? Just hacking on a bone back there. In other words, the psalmist tells us that God will honor our delighting in him by graciously giving us what we are asking of him from the very depths of our being. Now, think carefully here. If we are delighting ourselves in God, then what desires, what are the desires of our heart? And I just feel like oftentimes we do the whole delight thing in order to receive the desires thing. And the delight thing was never meant to receive the desires. The delight thing was meant to change the desires. To create oneness with your heart and your father's heart. If we are relying upon God and deriving our primary pleasure in him, then he is the desire of our heart. The promise here is not that God will give us the things of this world if we delight in him. No, the promise is that God will give us himself if, if and when we delight ourselves in him. 
Way more powerful. Way more. Seek ye first the kingdom and all of these and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. We got to free ourselves from the disappointment of pseudo-righteous expectations. On the flip side, the Bible also tells us that ask whatever you want in my name and it'll be given to you. The idea though is that we seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness. That our responsibility is a pure heart. That our responsibility is the one thing and the desires and the delighting starts to change meaning. Still okay? I know it's heavy. Like some of this stuff is kind of like, I know I'm like talking a lot about a lot of different things, and, but I, I, I just don't see another way to, to give this other than how I got it. So we know what he's not. What he is is a man who delights or is pliable in the law of Yahweh. The law of the Lord. What is the law of the Lord? <clears throat> Romans 8 says this, therefore is there, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemns sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit, for to be carnally minded is to be is death. So if you want to operate by the law of sin and death, think carnally. And we don't have to mean think, when we say think carnally, we're like, you know, the, the, the real unbelievers do that. But it's not true. Every time you put your circumstance and your situation And trying to figure that out above a God who operates in impossibilities. You're subjecting yourself to the carnal mind. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is at enmity, enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. He delights himself in the law. Let's change this. He becomes pliable to the law of the spirit. This is what this is meaning. Not that he uh, is happy with this mosaic law that keeps him in check, but that his heart is becoming pliable to the law of the spirit. The law of the spirit, which can only be led by what? One thing, the spirit. That's the life and peace. Who is pliable, 
so hard to change this scripture and read it the right, like through this, but I, I want us to understand it. To, to delights himself in the law of Yahweh is pliable to the law of the spirit. And in that law, he meditates day and night. Where I see that in scripture is in the book of Joshua. Where Joshua is making a, tra- they're making a transition from Moses to Joshua. And Joshua carries with him doubt and fear and unbelief of how this thing can take place and what Yahweh's called him to do. And Yahweh tells him to be strong and courageous. Be very strong and courageous. Joshua, look in my eyes. Be courageous. Be strong and very courageous. And then he says, you are to meditate on the law. And it shouldn't escape your mouth. But it becomes part of your heart. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. He was operating out of the law of Moses. How much greater is it to be able to operate out of the law of the Spirit? And it's telling him that the reason he needs to meditate day and night is that he would find prosperity and success. So we're kind of getting back around to what we were talking about in the first place of prosperity and what we believed a delighting heart might look like if we become super pliable and change the way that we think and we uh, subject ourselves to the law of the spirit that we come back into a place where we meditate, where we become, we chew up the things that Yahweh speaks about the spirit in our heart, which produces prosperity and success in what he's called you into. Who delights himself in the law of the Lord and in that law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water. Are we, a, are we good? We're awake? I'm almost done here. We're, the scripture only goes so far, okay? He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water who brings forth fruit in every season and its leaves shall not wither. Here's the cool thing about that is that tree of life is mentioned multiple times in scripture, but one of the most awesome times is in Revelation when it talks about the tree of life who is planted next to rivers of life. And it says that it produces fruit 12 seasons out of the year. The blessed man is likened to a tree that is planted by the rivers of living water who is plugged into a source that does not allow him to make an excuse, well, this is just the down season of my life. I'm sorry, you're a blessed man. It also says that the leaves of this tree in Revelation were for the healing of the nations. what you represent. It ain't about you having a good life. It's about us healing nations from the fruit that we're producing and what's coming off of being plugged into a source of life, a spirit of life, not an enmity with Yahweh, but plugged into the law of the life will be like this tree that they talk about in Revelation, planted by the rivers of living water, who brings forth fruit in every single season, and its leaves don't wither because they're meant for the healing of the nations. What a big deal you are, and I am. There's no question that this world, people around us, hurting, dying, troubled, there's a lot of this stuff. But you were called to be blessed, the men and women. And so we, to get to that point, have to not subject ourselves to the carnal thinking. And that first section, 
and start to walk in what it truly means to be a blessed man. Walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, stands in the path of sinners, sits in the seat of the scornful. His delight is in the law of Yahweh. In that law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water who brings forth fruit in every single season. And everything that he does will prosper. Why was Yeshua so successful? He did nothing that he didn't first see his father do. He delighted in his father. He allowed him to become pliable. He was in prayer. He was escaping when he could to get away with the Lord, to get away with Yahweh. Let's get the musicians up here. I'm going to go ahead and close some things off here. And if it, someone wants to go next door and get the kids or let the workers, you can, yeah, thanks, Morris. Just let them know they're welcome to come back in here. I want to just worship for a little bit before we leave. Um, I know we flipped things around a little bit, but the point here, the point here is how vital it is, <laughs> how vital it is for us not to just skim over things. And if there's any little bit of unbelief in your heart, in my heart, if there's anything that causes you to doubt or to have fear or to worry, I want you to remember the story of the disciples and what caused them to fall asleep. And understand that truly we have access to freedom in this. We have access to him, but it's going to cause us, it's going to require us to change the way that we think and to come into a place where our desires become him. Well, we don't just talk about it in church that we're going to pray continually, that we're going to praise and rejoice in all circumstances, that we're going to be thankful in all things, like we know that we live this life. And I'm not going to make a promise like 2020 is going to be the roaring 20s and that we're going to have the best years of our life. And this is going to be so great and not promise you that the only way that that takes place is that you delight yourself and let him give you the desires of your heart, which are him. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. I'm going to, while we're getting everybody... uh Thank you for listening. For more information on The Rock of Bay County, please go to therockofbc.org.